Hi and welcome to the Talk Zero podcast and today we are discussing conservation education with Mr. Ramnath Chandrasekhar. He is a filmmaker and a conservation educator. Welcome to the podcast Ram. Thanks Deepak it's my pleasure to be here. First of all could you just put a little bit of light on what conservation education means? Well conservation education primarily means highlighting various aspects of conservation to people and in my context it's about nature conservation and conservation education is derived from environmental education that's the larger umbrella so some people call it environmental education some people call it nature education i since i work more in conservation i work more i since i'm passionate about conservation i call myself a conservation educator primarily it is about helping people learn about various aspects of nature and helping them become ecologically conscious and eco-literate citizens so that's what i do as a conservation educator so i really like the term that you use there eco-literacy i is there something that is being taught like this or is it something that is very much a niche right now well i wish it was taught like that i don't know what that means but i wish eco literacy was taught and i wish people were provided with more opportunities to become eco literate if that was a case we wouldn't be in such a mess like this in the current state of ecological destruction primarily eco literacy is the way in which we are aware of the environment and the consequences of our action to nature and it comes under four different brackets you know first you've got this knowledge aspect of the environment and then you've got the character aspect of it which means being environment having concern and empathy towards nature and then the third aspect comes the competencies that is are you able to investigate an environmental issue are you able to analyze an environmental issue do you know where your water is coming from so all those comes under competencies and then the fourth aspect of ecological literacy is environmentally responsible behavior which is putting your knowledge character and competency into action like are you able to persuade people to practice sustainable living are you able to work with the government to save a patch of forest or are you able to work with the government to stop mining from a particular national park or a wildlife reserve so a large part of these four components of knowledge character competency and environmentally responsible behavior comes under the term eco literacy it's one of the frameworks there have been a lot of different frameworks for eco literacy that's uh, been in discussion since 1970s but it is still a niche field i feel and because a lot of people with whom i have interacted with are hearing that term for the first time so but it is not enough and today the more we face pandemics like the scenario that we are going through or the more ecological destruction we face i believe that we should be giving eco literacy as much importance as literacy you know that's when we will have a change in the planet that's when we can live in the planet and that's when all the different life forms that inhabit the planet can also live and thrive with us so that's uh, that's i mean that's a long winded answer for what eco literacy means 
so the dream that you just defined i feel it, it it's something that is a huge dream and it will take a lot of time so is that one of the reasons why you feel that it is something that is needs to be taught to kids rather than to adults or is it something that the adults need to learn first and then teach their kids well uh, everybody should learn about it but uh, i primarily feel that believe and feel that children are caretakers for the environment because when you are young you are less you have i mean when you are young you have less inhibitions and you are able to be more curious people are inquisitive when they are young and children are you know natural explorers and when you nat- when you are a natural explorer you tend to learn a lot about what the various scenarios and studies have shown that the more children are provided opportunities during their younger days to connect with nature to learn about the environment the more probability that they will become environmentally conscious citizens and that is one of the reasons why we must spend a lot of time ensuring that we connect children with nature when they are in school during their 15 years in school and provide them with as much opportunities as possible for them to connect with nature uh- this is something that should come from the children altogether because at a childhood age you they were they, like the other day or the day when we were having a conversation i realized that in my childhood when i was going to school we were actually taught all of this throughout i never realized till now only in hindsight i realized that i have always been close to environment because of all those experiences like our school used to like i'm from sort of a very privileged school in delhi so i could go forth and explore things like we had a nature walk session while we were kids we used to go out to a park a random park and explore uh, we used to go out for picnics to parks like jamali kamali uh, which is near kutub minar then uh, we used to plant saplings at the school itself we have used to have paper recycling units which was something i feel was unique we have used to do a lot of cleanliness drives and maybe a uh, like apart from all this we also used to get a holiday homework of planting a sort of a small sapling and a tree so that was something that like this is this all wholesome together is what i feel now that i feel is eco literacy because in the as a child i might have thought the only subject that we used to have like the environmental study subject in class second or third that we used to study that was about it but i feel these experiences which were much more practical what is what you're trying to say are going to form the eco literacy totally totally you know those kind of learning through experiences and learning at a very subconscious level is really powerful unfortunately the scenario today is not that conducive to provide children those spaces for learning like for example i'll give you a short uh, introduction about the status of environmental education in india from what i have read you know in india there is something called as an environmental education awareness and training scheme and under the scheme you have got three different categories you have got something called as the eco clubs which is called the national green core and you have got a scheme for nature camps and you have got a scheme for capacity building for teachers now if you just take the national green core for example there are about 90000 eco clubs in schools yes but we have got about 1.5 million schools in india and even these 90000 eco clubs 
in schools get an annual allowance of rupees 5000 for an entire year so how is this 5000 rupees being used and what are the kind of approaches that are used in these eco clubs to connect children with nature is something that we should think about and then the second aspect when you come to nature camps is that the last document that i read from the ministry's website says that 25000 students have to be introduced to nature annually now do you could you guess the number of students going to school in india it's 260 million students yeah. you know 260 million students are going to india and whereas the mandated number of students to go for nature camps is only 25000 and how do you define nature camps you need not go to a forest or a national park to connect with nature you can look at nature in your own backyard you can look at nature you know in a wetland nearby like the way you explained about the various ways in which you were introduced to nature when you were young so we must spend a lot of time to reflect upon the current status quo and find ways to change this you know we cannot be solving today's issues with yesterday's solutions it has to be new and we have to accelerate the things that have already been proven when it comes to nature and environmental education so definitely providing more spaces for children the way you connected with environment the way you were provided with opportunities is really important and that's how many environmentalists and many people who are caring for the planet have would have also started the interesting thing that you say here is that we are putting a lot of focus when we say about education on the teachers and the school is there a larger role for the parents and for anybody who is close to the child to actually go forth and help them with this because all apart from all the school experiences the other experience that i have close to the nature are mostly based on wherever i have visited my uh, with my parents wherever i traveled around and younger parents of like our generation uh, we a lot of us are into trekking and other things like that like close to the nature sort of things would these things actually go forth and help of course definitely you know i think uh, parents play a really major role and i can definitely give you an example of how my father helped me learn about nature you know i come from a town called pudukote in tamil nadu in the southern part of tamil nadu and when i was in school when i was in third or fourth standard i was introduced to nature through a walk near a river where my father used to go for walks every evening along a river and i was taken for a walk along with him and that's when i realized what kind of diversity is found in that river you know egrets and pond herons and fishes and so many different diversity and that's when i was able to connect more with my father's interest in nature which kind of subconsciously became my interest in nature also and that's the role parents play incredibly for children because we learn from them and if if a parent is practicing composting at home if they are being environmentally responsible at home if they are practicing responsible tourism if they are not throwing waste outside or if they are engaging with a non governmental community or a civil society organization outside then children see that and see those examples and then they imbibe it you know so 
parents play a really major role and we must work with them as much as we work with children and in highlighting them about the importance of nature and highlighting them about how being in nature also benefits their own children in their own way of life and in their own uh, uh, lives, you know, because it's not just a hobby or it's not something that's uh, completely apart from nature. It's not taking them away from what they want to do. It, in fact, studies have shown that the more you are with nature, the more it improves your mental well-being, the more you are able to uh, become passionate and perform what you want to do. So there is a whole lot of benefits for that. And we must work with parents to help them understand all those scenarios. You talk about your own journey uh, with nature, your own experiences with nature. Could you just like go back to the very beginning from where did the love for nature begin and what were the first action that you took as, a, as an individual? I mean, the first action that I took as an individual was to see birds and macaques Bernard macaques and I became really curious. You know, that's that's the first action, curiosity. Because yeah. when I come back from school, I used to see a macaque, bonnet macaque, walking above my entrance gate, coming back to my backyard, and then it will rest on a mango tree and it will sleep for some time. You know, that was one of my earliest memories of nature, and uh, the second. Uh, memory of nature was actually in February 2nd, 2002. That was when my uh, father, uh, when my parents had their 25th wedding anniversary and they had gifted me an SLR camera, an analog SLR camera. And they had hosted a get together in a farmhouse along the east coast of India in Chennai where many of my relatives had come. So I, my cousin and I went for a walk outside the farmhouse to the coast. And that was the first time I saw a dead olive ridley turtle. And I didn't know turtles used to come to the coast. I think I was in 8th standard or 9th standard. But the turtle was dead. I didn't know why the turtle was dead. I didn't know why the turtle used to come to the coast. And that kind of triggered my thought process to find out the reason for the turtle's death. And that connected with different opportunities in Chennai for me to learn about nature, you know, where I could watch wildlife films by filmmakers, where I could go volunteer for a few days at Crocodile Bank, where I could go on bird watching trips with uh, a small group of like-minded people. These are some memories of my earliest uh, connect with nature and my earliest uh, introduction to conservation. Very interestingly, your like the you first started feeling the nature through the camera lens. That is your second love, I believe. I don't know which one is the first or second. You can define that better. But these are clearly the two loves of your life. So uh, the, the, interestingly, now 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 what I feel is that for me, uh, it was once I bought the camera. We used to go on nature walks to shoot something. It, for you, it was the other way around. I believe that you wanted to go and check out the birds and you had a camera in your hand just because you had it. So, uh, both of these things, how did, how did your love for like uh, using the camera and your love for nature come together into one place? Great. 
I mean, see, my actually I've got three loves. One is uh, the first is always nature, yeah. And then the second is of course photography and filmmaking, and then the third is of course working with children and introducing them to the natural world. Oh. And the way photography came into picture was because I wanted a medium to show people the wonders of nature. You know, that's the medium that I wanted, and photography was a tool for that. So I would say I was a photographer. I would say I was a naturalist with a camera, rather than a photographer who loves nature. There's a lot of difference in it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the earlier part of my life when I was in school, it was all about photographing the beauty of nature, photographing birds, photographing mammals, photographing snakes, frogs. biodiversity and beauty but today we have to go beyond this beauty we have to go beyond this pretty picture and we need to document the various ecological destruction that is happening to the forests and to nature and that's when i told myself that i must play a role much more than a photographer and i was really inspired by uh, this by my mentor called Shekhar Dattatri he's a wildlife and a conservation filmmaker and he actually was one of the leading wildlife filmmakers who was doing documentaries for discovery and national geography but one fine day he actually quit making films for television and he started to pursue barefoot filmmaking to work with ngos to show and tell stories of conservation issues and one day i saw his film called the mindless mining it was about a mining that's happening in a forest called kudremukh in the western ghats and the film goes on to say how mining was so destructive and how it's damaging the water catchment areas of western ghats and how the government is going to renew the mining lease to continue mining for more more years and he made a very powerful film and that was taken to a lot of people around kudremukh and finally the supreme court decided to not renew the lease of that mining company and it was stopped so that's when i realized the power of visual medium for conservation and that made me feel that you know i should not be just be a photographer just capturing beauty and moving from one beauty to the other or i should just you know be a self centered person pursuing passion i should something my existence should be of a larger benefit to the society and since then i have been taking pictures of uh, different things that have been happening all over unfortunately because of my uh, fortunately or unfortunately because of my work with schools i was not able to travel a lot i'm not able to travel a lot uh, to nature but whenever i go i ensure that i capture pictures like for example it might be an egret a group of egrets sitting on a on a waste dump yard you know at once upon a time those dump yard might be wetlands it might be you know once i saw a three tiger cubs that was taken out from a dead mother tiger's womb because a mother tiger was run over by a speeding vehicle in a nature reserve tiger reserve and when they did post mortem to that tiger they found out three dead tiger cubs which was almost ready to be born you know so i spend a lot of time capturing such pictures 
and uh, i feel that every photographer every person with a camera should go beyond just clicking pictures beautiful pictures and document these issues and highlight it to people around them i think that will make a huge difference so the interesting thing here is that you talk about not only doing the like the beautiful side of the nature but also clicking the the darker sides and the issues that are currently happening but then again you go forth and teach this like you are a conservation educator and you mostly cater to children so is that counterproductive because no no parent would i believe want them their kids to go forth and learn through fear of what is happening around so how how do you use your filmmaking skills for the kids well i do it in two ways one is i pick well made conservation films mostly in regional language and i introduce children to nature and conservation these are films that are well messaged there is a lot of insights in the films and i have seen personally after interacting with about 50000 students that children's eyes just lit up when they see the films when they see wildlife films when they see conservation films and it's essential that we should not just show these films but we should have a conversation with them you know we should back those film screenings with activities and with further engagements for children that they can do both in their schools and in their homes so these are some different ways in which i use uh, films sometimes whenever i get opportunities to work on films most of the time it has been part of a larger team i get to travel to different places to document conservation stories and i use those films also to engage with children you know and these are not films that are about 40 minutes or 15 minutes these are films that are about 15 minutes to 20 minutes so that you have a really short introduction and then you have a really power packed engaging and persuasive film that children can see and it's followed by an activity or an interaction so when more such opportunities are created the children become more empathetic towards nature and they start to observe different things in their own locality when it comes to nature and environment issues so these are some ways in which i use uh, films for uh, conservation education so uh, i think the wonderful thing that you are talking about here is that the interaction sessions followed by these videos could you just share some stories of when you uh, you did such a session with them and what were the sort of questions that came back from the students oh sure i mean plenty of questions come from the students you know and most of the questions are about what can we do and i always say that you will have many interests like for instance children would love art they would love dance or they would love play or they would love to go with nature so pursue your interest and find a way to participate in caring for the planet through your own interests and i remember a, uh, an incident many years back i was visiting a school in the southern part of india in tamil nadu near a nature reserve and i showed this film called the save our sholas it was about a film about the shola forest in the western ghats and how our lives and the lives of numerous biodiversity is dependent on the western ghats and 
I showed this film and then I talked to them. We had an interaction and then I went to another school. Then a month later, I came back to the same school and I was showing them another film to the student. And one child, he came and he gave a short narrative where he said that, you know, that film Seva has really inspired me. So I went back to my home and I spoke to my parents to stop hunting hares. Hares are, you know, black-naped hares. They are a species of uh, like rabbit hare, H-A-R-E. And so he, in fact, persuaded his parents to stop hunting hares near its protected area. So that really moved me, you know. So it tends to be in children's mind, you know, for a long time. And so it should be, you know, we should provide that opportunity continuously. You know, that's when you become better, right? Whatever we do, whether we are playing tennis or whether we are in photography or whether we are learning about conservation, we need to keep engaging ourselves from time to time so that we don't forget it, so that we become better and we have a way to uh, participate in conservation. So that was one of the uh, very, very inspiring moments for me to continue. And there are many such, uh, you know, experiences I can keep on talking about it. So I think I think this is amazing when you get to see the validation of your work while doing your work. So that is an amazing feeling. Just educated children across India, but you've also done this abroad. Could you tell us about that a little? Sure. The work that I have, I did in other parts of the world was primarily through a part of a fellowship program that I was uh, fortunate to join in Hawaii. And as a part of that program, I was able to travel to different countries to study the challenges and opportunities for improving eco-literacy in schools. So I went to different countries like Indonesia, Timor-Leste, Japan, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and I visited various schools and I spoke to children, I spoke to teachers to find out what they really love, how they would love to learn, what do they feel as challenges that they are facing to connect with nature. So in that process, I was able to uh, travel to different parts of uh, the world. And I did visit a few schools to talk to children and to also listen to them from the their own stories of nature from their locality because I'm a new person in their country. So it's important to be empathetic, to listen to their experience, what they saw. So that's uh, that was a very, very uh, unique experience for me that I really loved. Was there a difference between, say, a sort of a poorer country or a third world country as they quote it, uh, in terms of who are fighting for roti kapada makan and when you go to a country like Japan, suppose, uh, was there a difference in how they look at environmental issues? Well, I would say yes. Some of the environmental issues for people from who are fighting for their food and for their survival are more immediate, and hence that's need that needs to be paid attention. Whereas in places like Developed countries, I feel that people are able to, people have realized it quick because more damage has happened more quickly and their way of understanding and solving a problem has been different. So they both are really a different scenario. 
But one thing that I often face is that, you know, uh, environmental education or working, connecting children with nature, eco-literacy, it's all not that of priority or importance when it comes to survival or poverty. I would say that it is as important as larger developmental issues because if you don't have a planet, if you don't have a thriving environment, then none of us can live. And so that's why it's important to bring the ecology angle to economy and to every aspect of development and of governance. You know, that's something that, I mean, I would say we have already lost a lot of time, but we cannot lose any more time. We have to really bring that into conversation. So, but do you, like, I tend to ask this question a lot but I'm not sure of the answer to it. Uh, that do you think environmental issues are for the privileged? I would definitely not say that it's not for the for the privileged. And a classic example that I would say is the story of the Amur falcon. You know, Amur falcon is a bird of prey that migrates from Siberia and in the Russian Far East all the way to South Africa and during the migration, they stop at a place called Nagaland in the northeastern part of India for some time. And this stoppage was not observed by people for a really long time. But that was discovered in 2012. And when people, a group of conservationists, bird watchers, and a journalist, when they discovered this Amur falcon stopover, they found that it is not just a few birds, but millions of birds. They also found that many of these birds were being hunted, like 150,000 birds were being hunted and sold for meat. And that's when a lady called Banu and a group of few conservationists decided to put a stop to it. So they not only stopped hunting, they also found a way to provide alternate livelihoods for the hunters who are now taking people to Nagaland and they are showing the birds to people. And in that process, their economy, the way of life, their livelihoods are also improved. So it is a win-win solution. It is one of the uh, rare conservation success stories in today's context when we are hearing so much about gloom and boom. So when, I, when you look at this, I would say that it is not for the privileged. It is for everybody, every one of us. And in fact, the closer we are to environment, they are the ones who are facing the immediate brunt of climate change and the climate crisis. So we must find a way to mitigate that. We must find a way to stop ecological destruction and ensure that people and wildlife and people and nature thrive. You know? So I would definitely not say that it's for the privileged. It's for everybody. Nature is for everybody uh, at the moment we require a lot of awareness campaigns uh, in terms of whatever wrong is going on but what out of these awareness campaigns would lead to action is something that i cannot comprehend right now could you put some light on it sure well definitely the question that you asked before was uh, pertinent I mean, awareness is a process it is a journey and today that alone is not enough it must translate to action and 
awareness is a great tool to build a community for action you know that's been the pivotal uh you know crux be it the silent valley campaign be it the kudremu campaign be the amur falcon campaign you know that kind of sensitivity and awareness actually builds the community and brings like minded people together and they discuss and find ways to translate that knowledge and awareness into action so we really need more conservation campaigns you know and we need to engage with diverse uh, people from different backgrounds like filmmakers like conservationists like lawyers you know who are coming together for a com- common cause for a common purpose to save a particular part of a forest you know that's that is needed that is needed in large scale and in every in fact close to every forest i would say we need somebody who is fighting for conservation for that region talking about action right at the moment i'll ask you the same question that the kids normally tend to ask what can we do about it there are two ways i i always talk about this approach called an inside out approach mm-hmm. that is first we do what we can from our own homes mm-hmm. and out part is how we can participate in conservation outside of our houses by involving ourselves with organizations that are making impact you know that kind of an inside out approach is something that we can do and it is something that everybody must practice you know within our homes we find a way to reduce our carbon footprint as much as possible and also living in a more ecologically conscious way and then the second is finding people in our own network in our own locality and providing them that pathway to become ecologically conscious that is the inside part and outside is you know identify a organization identify a community that is close to where you are living in and talk to them about what they want support you know and if you if you if you are experienced in that then you can definitely lend a helping hand if there are no such uh, organizations or a community i'm not talking about large scale ngos yeah. i'm talking about smaller organizations smaller uh, you know team of people and if there is no such a uh, community near your house you start a community and bring people and identify a cause that's very very tangible and that's something that you can fight for uh, that something will lead to a result you know these these are some things that we can definitely do it's an inside out approach and i think that when everybody practices that will lead to a much better and an ecologically conscious world oh, wow so this on that note i want to discuss one more very uh, like one of the most beautiful things i've saw, seen in recent times and that is your wedding video could you okay. just tell me about how you manage the sustainable wedding yeah i try my best i mean i my wife and i we try our best to uh, practice what we preach or rather preach what we practice we are trying to move to the second stage of we preach what we practice we are trying various ways to be sustainable and wedding definitely you know uh, it was one of the most challenging uh, things that i have done because you know that's when i really felt the pinch of talking to some 
stranger who has no connect with environment like a caterer so you know so you sit with a caterer and you tell them that no you can't be doing these things you can't have smaller bottles and you have to have you know you have to dig a compost pit uh, to recycle all the food waste and then the caterer is like what is this composting and what are you talking about i don't even know what these are you know so it's like it took a lot of conversation and primarily what we did was uh, we we looked at various aspects of our wedding and we found out what are all the different places in which we can become ecologically conscious and reduce our consumption choosing the right place and uh, making sure that we don't print invitations uh, making sure that we don't uh, buy water bottles and in fact rent tumblers and ensuring that we don't do uh, commercial backdrops and you know all these glitzy things but instead do things with upcycle art or find people to uh, people who are doing that there are people who are doing that and also finding a uh, venue that help ensures us that we can compost our flower waste food waste and all of that i wouldn't say it is a completely zero waste wedding because we had people using vehicles to come and uh, that's unavoidable but but we were able to considerably cut down so much of uh, our consumption like uh, we didn't have gifts and we didn't buy clothes uh, my wife's wedding sari was my grandma her grandmother's sari so we ensured that we don't you know buy things and so gifts we went to the source to make sure that we don't get it through packaging and you know we don't want to bring all those packaging so it was uh, quite a laborious effort and thankfully my parents and my wife's parents supported a lot in that it's a community effort like any other success in environment in whatever successful way it is i feel that's the least we can i can do personally you know so that's so th- this is amazing like the kind of uh, support you need from a whole entire set of family is is just amazing because this is the one day everybody in the family says this is the exception for everything that we have ever done we are going to do everything extravagant and yeah on that day to convince everybody to do extra not in terms of having the extra level of fun but in terms of having uh, doing something much more beyond a cause so that was yeah. something that really really like sort of inspired me as well so thank you thank you for this beautiful <laughs> sort of experience sharing session that we have had um, i would like you to actually go forth and conclude by just giving us a one last bit of advice or one last bit of thing that you would want to tell any young parent connect your child with nature connect your children with nature and uh, help them nurture their curiosity to nature once you introduce them to it and learn various ways in which you can participate in conservation and take your children along with that participation okay thank you so much ram this was a wonderful experience welcome deepak it was a pleasure talking to you thank you mm-hmm.